Alabama A&M head coach Connell Maynard hates the transfer portal. And listen, Connell, even though I understand where you're coming from, I think your point is a tad bit flawed. Oh, yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and contributing writer at USA Today's Saints wire i appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusive starts with an s and ends with an s today's episode begins with a conversation around connell maynard's disgust with the transfer portal at least what he said is his disgust. It ends off with Mississippi Valley State women's basketball and how they're adding more star power to both their roster and coaching staff. And in between, we'll be discussing Shaw and how they plan on operating a two-quarterback system. Oh, we have ourselves an episode, but I'll tell you what we really have. We really have ourselves a lead segment because Connell Maynard hates the transfer portal. But his point is just a tad bit flawed. So we'll break down the validity in what he feels. We'll look at the flaw that'll be the most that we just or the part that we discussed the most, the flaw in his logic. But then we'll also discuss the ramifications of the change that he desires. See, now I want to read to you a couple of quotes from what Connell Maynard had to say. And he was doing an interview with Urban Sports Sciences on YouTube. If you want to go out and check it out, he said, and I quote, no. I'm not a fan of it, the transfer portal, because it has basically turned all lower levels into JUCOs to where we develop players. And as soon as they develop, they get NIL deals and go somewhere else. We are just glorified JUCOs right now. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me take a pause. I'm with you. Coach Maynard right there. I can understand exactly what you're saying. I get the frustration. And if you just stop there, I might talk about this, but the tone in which I speak about it is not the same. But then is when you add this last sentence from another quote, right? And he was talking about how coaches leave and, and how basically players leave and the free movement that the transfer portal allows. And maybe I misinterpreted it, but this quote is no misinterpretation. This quote is directly what he said. He said, and I quote, it should be only if your coach leaves that you can leave. I get the first part. I genuinely do. Because when you have players that you develop and then a big school comes a calling and now you went and found the diamond in the rough, but then they went and found you. And now who's left holding the bag? Who's the one left having to look for another diamond in the rough? Rough. That's the small schools. And I get it. That can be irritating. That can be frustrating. But when you try to change and essentially halt what the transfer portal is, you're halting what the transfer portal is when you say only if the coach leaves, you can leave. 
That's where the flaw comes in for me. That's when I begin to have issues. That's when I begin to say, eh, you lost me, Coach Maynard. First off, you're choosing to ignore any of the circumstances that come with leaving in the transfer portal. If you're only saying they can leave at the coach lease. Secondly, and most importantly, you're choosing to ignore the good that comes from the transfer portal for the FCS. And you know that I feel this way. You know that I feel like you have to take the good and the bad as a give and a take. I, you, you know I feel like there's a lot of benefits that also come along with the with the detractions. However, you're just not seeing them as much because, you know, the losses hurt a little bit more. If a player isn't getting playing time, if a player wants to move closer to home, if a player just honestly just wants a different set of circumstances, those are all reasons that people transfer. It's not just the big school came a call it. And we have to remember you're, cha you're changing transfer portals all the way around. You're not just saying you can only leave the FCS if this happens. And we'll explain the flaw in that either. But then what really comes to it is the, 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 the actual positive that comes from the transfer portal for FCS. And I get that. We never talk about that. I, I feel like we rarely discuss it. But guess what? James Houston isn't here. James Houston started at Florida. He's not here if you don't have that transfer portal or if you change it to where, hey, only if your coach leaves. Right? That, like, it's difficult. And I'm trying to think. Yeah. This was Napier's first year, so I don't think, I don't think Florida had a new coach when James Houston left. So he wouldn't have been at Jackson State by these rules. But it's really when you get into Alabama A&M. It's really when you get into Alabama A&M that I say, you know what? You might not want to be the person delivering this message. Because if the transfer portal was a rapper, he'd be like, Nas, you? I know you ain't talking. You've been on my... Anyway. In 2022, Alabama A&M brought in the most transfers of any FCS school. I knew it, that sounded familiar. I went and Googled it and went to NCAA.com. So I went to the official website. This was April 2022. They were at 28. So even if those numbers shifted just a little bit as time went on before the season, they're probably ending with the top three. They were 28 transfers who came in from the FBS or FCS level for Alabama A&M. But let's really break down who was their best players, who were their most impactful players last year. Donovan Eaglin, leading rusher, Michigan State. Isaiah Cox, leading receiver, Ohio University. Quincy Casey, starting quarterback, Jackson State. Dre Terry, leading tackler, East Carolina University. Zarion Hayes, leader in sacks and tackles for a loss, Appalachian State. Moses Douglas and Avian Rice tied for the most interceptions. Douglas came from Kentucky. And then finally, you get to Avian Rice, who was a player who was recruited out of high school. He was a freshman. No other college got him first. But you're looking at the most impactful player that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of your most impactful players from last season. And they came from the transfer portal. So if you're and I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing not every single one of those guys had their coach leave. So when you're talking about the transfer portal and you're saying you want to put a halt to it. Listen, I don't mind transfers. I don't mind any of those players. I actually like the transfer portal. I'll be honest. I don't know if I've ever just come out and say that I like the transfer portal. But if you're going to bash the transfer portal the way that I feel like Coach Maynard was bashing it, then I feel like you should use it the way that Coach Oliver from North Carolina Central uses it. And I know some people might be tired of me bringing that up, but this is a standard to me, not just because they won the championship, because if we're talking about transfer portals and the tone that you speak about it with, if you don't like it, if you feel like people should only move when their coach moves, 
Don't be one of those people who uses it all the time. Because when you speak like this, it makes me feel like you don't see the positivity. I won't call you a hypocrite because I don't feel like that's what's going on here. I feel like what's really happening is Coach Maynard is being consumed with the negativity that comes with the transfer portal and unable, in that moment at least, to speak about the positivity that comes with it. Because I get it. When you lose two of your high-level wide receivers, when you lose two of your high-level wide receivers, it gets frustrating. Like, man, I lost Ibrahim. I lost uh, Hilaire. Like, like I get it. Those things can make you upset. And it's like, man, screw this. They treating us like JUCOs because you have a point there. And I understood that and I agreed with that. But once you start talking about only if, only if your coach leaves, I feel like you're halting the progress. See, and I think a lot of people probably would agree and be like, I'll just turn into JUCOs. We need to, we need to stop the transfer portal. But I'll, I'll tell you this. If you take emotion out of it and you really think about this, this is how most people think. FCS to FCS, cool. FCS to FBS, no. FBS to FCS, yeah, we love that. We really look, look at it. Let's let's talk about. Let's say that again, right? Let's let's say that again. How most people look at the transfer portal, and let's see if you notice the real issue that's going on there. Let's take all emotion out. Let's take your team losing players out. Let's take all of that out, and just look at the transfer portal for the transfer portal. When people look at it, FCS to FCS. Okay, we're good with that. You go FBS to FCS, we're good with that. You go FCS to FBS, stop right there. Why is that all of a sudden a problem? You're cool with lateral movement. You're cool with downward movement. But when it comes to upward movement for the players, we have a problem. Take out the fact that your team lost a guy. You should be able to express the frustration of bigger schools taking players Without just saying, I hate the transfer portal altogether and acting like you don't get players from bigger schools. Stop that. We just broke it down with Alabama A&M. Okay? That's, that's, that's my thing. I get what he's saying. I get the frustration. But when you start talking about changing it to the point that he's talking about changing it, I can't do that. But if you did change it that way, it would be interesting to see if maybe you do more digging from a big school perspective. Because you do they do find diamonds in the rough. Like, they do find them. They find the three stars, the, the two stars, the walk-on, to come out and be successful. They find those players. Like, I'm not going to disrespect the, the recruiting staff of a Power 5 school and act like that doesn't happen. But it would be interesting if they do it even more, if you see more diamonds in the rough on the FCS level who can't leave, if you see more FCS players who get drafted because of that. All of those ramifications would be interesting to watch. But overall, we got to watch the way we speak on the transfer portal because it's a given, it's a take. If you want to acknowledge the bad, that's fine. But don't go so far to where you're talking about it like it's the worst thing in the world when you know good and doggone well that you get players from the transfer portal too. That's what I. That's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it. But speaking of the transfer portal, we're going to go from a D2 to a D2. We're talking about Silas Cruz and the fact that he has transferred from Livingstone to Shaw, and he's in competition to be a part of the Shaw two-quarterback system that they might desperately need in order to be successful in 2023 and we'll break that down as we continue with locked on hbcu today's episode is brought to you by fan duel and fan duel is the official sports book of the locked on podcast network the college world series was phenomenal i highly doubt that anybody who took the points i don't know what the odds were but florida and lsu those last two games were so drastically different 
It was insane, but it was a phenomenally played game. Now we're moving into the MLB, right? And then we're moving into the futures. You have college football, professional football, NBA, college basketball. You have futures that could pay off later down the line. But if you're looking for something with a little bit more immediate of a return, then let's go ahead and bet on the baseball. Let's go ahead and bet on um, hockey's going, wow. Wow, it's just baseball now. It's the time. It's the time in sports. But go ahead and put your money down at FanDuel.com. If you get it wrong, that's okay. You have the no sweat first bet, meaning no matter what you say, you can't be completely wrong because they're going to give you another chance free at charge. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on today to make every moment more. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day on Friday's episode, I have a very special guest. We're doing an interview, but you have to stick around until segment three because we're teasing it. But tomorrow's episode, we have a new HBCU recruit. I'll tell you that on Wednesday, on Friday's episode, excuse me, we will have a new HBCU recruit. And that's all I'll give you until the end of the show. And then I'll tell you the name. So stick around, stick around, stick around. But right now, We're going to discuss Shaw University because they are trying to rejuvenate their passing offense with a two-quarterback system. It's interesting. It's interesting because Shaw needs to improve their offense. They're looking to do it, but they need to do it because they want to be competitive in 2023. Of course they do. You know, Coach Jones, Coach Aaron Jones already said, we're not backing down from anyone. I hope not. But if you're going to back up the fact that you're not backing down, if you're going to back that, 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 statement and the bravado to come out and say you're not backing down if you're going to back all of that talk up you're going to have to improve your offense because the offense was extremely middle of the pack last year and i'm specifically referencing the the passing offense when you need to improve it but middle of the pack doesn't describe the passing offense when you look at how they ranked overall run pass total offense everything in the ciaa you're looking at seventh in yards seventh in scoring pretty average right okay When you break it down and you dig a little bit deeper into what these stats or how these stats were compiled, and you look at running versus passing the two aspects of the offensive game, you look at running, fourth in yards, sixth in touchdowns. So that's above average in yards and right in the middle of the pack directly. There's 12 teams directly in the middle of the pack when you're talking about touchdowns. Okay, cool. Then you look at the passing game. And that's when you find trouble. That's when you start bringing down all the overall stats because you're 10th in yards, you're 11th in touchdowns. That's bottom of the barrel. When you have average, slightly above average, and then you have bottom of the barrel, oh, now we have a problem. See, they were much better than the fifth best rushing team, yardage-wise. So you had a little bit of a gap to make up. But you're looking at one of the worst passing attacks in the conference and one of the better rushing attacks. That's going to compile into an average offense, which is why I say you're going to need to improve your offense. That is that's a must. Now, I understand that Andre Gibbs and excuse me, Sidney Gibbs and Andre Brandon are going to be returning and the offense is going to run through them. And I don't mean that as a play on words, but the offense is going to run through the rushing attack. You have two running backs who are top five in yards per game in the conference. Of course, you're going to be a run-first team. As long as you can keep full health, that's what you're going to do. Okay, cool. I get that. Though your offense is going to go and function through the rushing attack, 
it might be defined by the passing attack. Because unless you are Jada Byers, unless you are rushing for 2,000 yards, and unless that's happening, you're going to need a passing game to go with it. And that's no disrespect to the Union passing game. I'm just saying in general, your rushing game has to be ridiculous. And that's exactly what Byers was last year. So your rushing game has to be ridiculous if your offense, or excuse me, if your passing is going to be meh at best. It's required. Okay, cool. So now you have the two the two quarterback system. You're bringing in two quarterbacks from last year, the two top returning quarterbacks from 2022, and you're bringing in a transfer in Silas Cruz from Livingstone. Cruz was the third or had the third most yards per game last year, but he had 16 interceptions, which was two interceptions per game that he played. So it's high upside. I'll take the yards all day of the week. Any day that ends in a Y, I'll be the third best passing attack. I will take that. But 16 interceptions, ah, 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 I don't know. I'm not taking, I'm not taking that. Like, it's like, if if I have to take the yards, but I have to take the, the interceptions that come with it, I'm probably turning that down. Realistically, if I have to do both, I'm probably turning that down. Just being honest with you. Okay, so. Here's the here's where things get a little interesting. Christian Peters, your starting quarterback from last year, is returning, but he's going to be playing in a little dual dual threat system. So he'll be playing as a quarterback and as a wide receiver. That's fine. He's you know he says I think it's going to be easy for me because I play quarterback. I know everything. That's fine. That's cool. That's fine and dandy. I understand perfectly. But that's nowhere near as fascinating as how much you're going to play wide receiver. I'm less concerned with how effective you play wide receiver and more so with how much you play, because that's going to define just how important that this battle between Cruz and Patrick Blake, who is the other quarterback going back for it, is going to be. So here goes the question or excuse me, the quote from Coach Jones or Adrian Jones. I called him Aaron earlier. Excuse me. But well. It ain't no secret. We're going to have a two quarterback system. We're not going to just have one quarterback. Of course, Christian Peters is going to play some at quarterback because he's an athlete and causes problems. But one of the other guys is going to get a lot of reps as well. To me, that sounds like Peters is going to primarily play as a. I'm trying to think of how I specifically want to say it. Like, because I don't want to say he's going to be a wide receiver and occasionally a quarterback, but he's going to play wide receiver more than he's going to play quarterback. And I doubt he he rarely, if ever, will get the most passing attempts in a game. I just don't think that's going to happen because it maybe I'm being too specific and too particular with my words. Lord knows I got a problem with that in real life. But when he said Christian Peters, he said he's going to play some. When he said one of those other guys, he said they're going to play a lot. A lot is more than some. Though he put it first, and if I would have been saying this, I would have said one of those other guys is going to play a lot, but Christian Peters is too much of an athlete and a and a problem maker, so he's going to play some. That's how I would have said it, so that kind of gives me a little confusion because I would have put the person who's going to play the most reps first in my sentence. But I'm trying not to be overly particular with how it was functioned or how it was framed and all of that. But overall, I do believe that he's saying that Christian Peters is going to play primarily wide receiver. And he did that at Winston-Salem State in a game versus Winston-Salem State, excuse me. He didn't have any passing attempts. Patrick Blake had all of them, 26 of them. Meanwhile, Peters had three receptions. I think you might see more games like that. They might use him like Taysom Hill. He also, Jones also said, there is a 
third that uh, Peters is like a third running back back there because of how athletic he is. That sounds like Taysom, man. That sounds like Taysom. And he might throw some, but overall, he's not going to. But like I said, this is the most fascinating thing. How he works out at these other positions, okay, whatever. But how much Christian Peters plays these other positions is going to be the real fascinating part because the more he plays at quarterback, the less interesting that the quarterback battle underneath him becomes. But the less he plays at quarterback, the more interesting that quarterback battle between Silas Cruz and Patrick Blake becomes. And that'll be something to truly watch as we continue with looking at Shaw, almost at the episode, but as we continue to look at Shaw throughout the season and the progress that their offense makes, because they're going to need to improve. I told you this, and I'm not joking. They need to improve. And success in this two-quarterback system will be imperative to making sure that those improvements actually happen. And as we move forward, we'll be discussing Mississippi Valley State and the fact that they are adding more star power not only to their roster, but then also to their coaching staff as we wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day and making it all the way to segment three. I thank you two times for that thank you and remember your your kind of your gift at the end of the the cereal box is knowing who that hbcu recruit who that hbcu player is going to be on friday's episode so just wait out and watch out for that but right now mississippi valley state women's basketball team has continued to add a little bit of star power to not only their roster, but then also to the coaching staff. And that's Ashley Shields, who is a former WNBA top 10 selection, a former WNBA champion, and she will be joining. And she also played overseas as well. We're looking at somebody who's going to be joining the Mississippi Valley State coaching staff. And listen, Shields is most known for being the first JUCO player to ever be selected by the WNBA because she was crazy. Like, when you look at her stats, you understand how she could do what she did at the JUCO level. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. She once dropped 65 in a quarterfinal game. Averaged 27.4 per game, the most in JUCO that year, of course, right? You're looking at a walking bucket, a player who is a, who is a Memphis Amateur Sports Hall of Famer. She gets selected top 10. She ends up uh, going to the Detroit Sparks, I believe. Dang, did I just get that name wrong? It's Detroit, but I feel like it's not the Sparks. Oops. Anyway, but she ends up going to Detroit, and she wins a um, she wins a championship in her second year, right? And then she ends up going through the overseas circuit and all of those things. But you're looking at a player who was a star in college. You're looking at a player who was a high-level draft pick in the WNBA and end up playing a couple of years before going overseas. So you're bringing somebody like that to your coaching staff and most specifically a champion, right? Because I don't care if you're the leader on the championship team. I don't care if you're the 12th man on the championship team or 12th woman. Like I don't care because at the end of the day, there's certain things that go into winning that spread throughout everybody that's on that roster and on that coaching staff. So I think that that's why I personally, when I talk about winning championships, I'm always going to highlight it to a great degree, no matter how how important you were to that championship or not, right? So when she was in JUCO, she was a regional player of the year. She was an NJCAA. Always have so many letters with that, but the NJCAA. CAA. 
That's why I don't like it. it's too many letters. I know it's my number is five, but that's too many letters. I'm not used to that. Um, I always feel like I said too much or I didn't say enough. But anyway, she was an All-American. She was an All-American in college. And then as far as coaching goes, this is her first step into collegiate coaching. But she's been a, a coach at a couple of high schools in the Tennessee, Memphis area, right? I think one was in Memphis. One was about 30 miles from Memphis in Arlington. Not the Arlington, not the AMA, not me. But you're looking at Arlington, uh, Tennessee. But um, you're looking at somebody who, is, who has done high school coaching, and now she's moving into collegiate ranks. But this is where the star power comes in because we've already discussed the fact that she's a WNBA champion, all of the things that she's been able to accomplish. We discussed all of that. We got it, right? But when she announced her 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 signing, I guess, you know, the fact that she was going to be joining Mississippi Valley State, she did it in an interesting way. She took a picture with Naya Morant. And that was fascinating to me because Naya Morant, Shane played a, a lick of college ball. Now, first of all, I, I already felt like, you know what, I don't usually see them make announcements of being hired with pictures no matter what. It's just, oh, I'm going to be joining the Mississippi Valley State Women's Basketball coaching staff. Boom, period, we're gone. So the picture was already something that would have caught my eye. But then when you choose to do it with Naya Morant, I sit there and I think, you're not doing it with the star of the team. You're doing it with somebody who hasn't played any college basketball. And that's not a slight to Morant. That's just the fact of the matter. She hasn't played any college basketball. So it's not like you're you're taking a picture with the returning player of the year or a, or a player who made all conference, led the team at points. Like, no, you're going in there with the unproven commodity, essentially, right? So then there's two angles at this. So my, fascina my fascination was peaked, and there's two angles to look at this. And I felt so, man, when I was typing this, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so annoying. Because I felt like those people who were like, well, you know, so-and-so unfollowed so-and-so. And... But really, taking this picture with Naya Morant was interesting because it said it said two things. One, the angle is, well, Naya Morant played ball in Memphis because, I mean, let's get the, the elephant out the room. Her brother is Ja Morant. It wasn't a coincidence. They didn't just, I don't know any other Morants personally, right? But that's it. That's it. That's her brother. And where does he play ball? Memphis. So, of course, she's playing ball in high school in Memphis. Okay, cool. I got you. I've already told you that Shields is a Memphis native, Hall of Famer in the city, uh, coach basketball in the city and in the outskirts of the city. So, like, we get it. There's a Memphis Connect there. And that's the easy way to look at it, right? Okay, cool. Memphis connected. Maybe they got chemistry. Maybe they already know each other because, you know, a lot of times you, you know the people in the city, especially the high-level talent, like, like that happens. So maybe they already know each other. And you hope that that, <clears throat> excuse me, you hope that that chemistry that they maybe have of already knowing each other can help to where Morant can achieve the things that come with the second angle. I think Mississippi Valley State is correctly positioning Naya Morant to be the face of this team, at least at the beginning. That is what you should do. Notice I say correctly. When you're looking at Naya Morant, regard I personally, I have no expectations for what she'll be. I don't. I, like, I, I'll be lying to you if I just told you I've broken down her game and all of these things. I don't have any expectations of what Naya Morant will be for Mississippi Valley State. However, I feel like I'm in the minority when it comes to that thought process. I feel like many people, probably most people, have an expectation of what she'll be whether that's super athletic, whether that's somebody who cuts to the hole, whether that's somebody who's going to be a game changer, right? Because of who her brother is, people are going to have expectations. But here's the thing, the expectations and who her brother is, that's going to be reasons that people will come to just see. 
They want to watch. So when you position her as the face, when you position her as Mississippi Valley State, you see, you, you see who we got. We got Nia Morant. We got Josh's sister. Like, we got it. Now it's a conversation of, oh, well, what's Josh's sister going to do? And I hate that for her, right? I hate that she's going to be at times reduced to Josh's sister, but she's also probably used to it, irritated by it, kind of like Ty Floyd was when she was talking about, I'm not, not bar none's daughter, like I'm Ty Floyd. But anyway, but people are going to want to see what does Ja's sister do? You know, and then the, the one time Ja comes to see at the game, oh, now it's a conversation of, oh, Ja's there? Oh, bring him out, bring him out. The whole the whole uh, dorm's going to be showing up now. Especially the ladies. The girls love Ja. <laughs> like the dudes, they watch the game. The dudes love Ja. Everybody loves Ja. Everybody loves Ja. Now, of course, we 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 hate that he's going to be suspended, but we love Ja, right? So you know a lot of people are going to show up in the games that he does come, and I'm sure he will be at least at one of those games. And when he does, then everybody will fill out. But positioning Morant as the face of the team has less to do with what she actually does on the court and more about the stands that are surrounding the court. And then you hope that once she does get on the court – she showcases ability to validate all of the hype that you've given her. That's the way that I look at it. That's the way that you need to have it be done. You position her as the face because it's going to get more people in. You're going to have more revenue. You're going to do all of those things because she is a draw, period. Naya Morant is going to be a draw for Mississippi Valley State women's basketball team. Even though she hasn't played a lick of collegiate basketball, I would consider her a star because of the name recognition that she'll come in with. Okay, take that, use it for monetary gain, and then hope that she validates it so that the people who are in the stands continue to stay in the stands. I think it just makes perfect sense. Mississippi Valley State and the star power they're using, you got to use it right, but you could be on the come up for this one right here. And speaking, speaking of Mississippi Valley State, on Friday we will have Aaron Webb, the UT Martin transfer, who is now a defensive back for Mississippi Valley State, and he will be joining the show to discuss not only his commitment to Mississippi Valley State, but of course, you know how I get down. We got to get into some personal. We got to get into his life and some things that are outside of the game of football, but you have to wait until Friday for that. So I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. I really do, and I know you're going to want to do it Friday now as well. Until then, until the next time that we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.